Hello, this is Rick Millensall, and welcome to Voices of Resilience, a podcast series highlighting human journeys through adversity and trauma to resilience. Joining me today is Melissa, and we're going to use only her first name as she intends to tell us a very personal story, and up to now, a pretty private story of her 18-year journey, surviving what is called bipolar disorder type 1 with psychotic features and alcoholism. And that's a double and triple punch that she has taken. She wants to share with us her experiences with hospitalizations and recovery. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so very much, Rick, for having me. Yesterday, you got to spend some time in our backyard with my wife. And here's what she said. She said, Melissa, she is very smart and very brave to want to share her story. Melissa, why did you want to share this story today? Oh, Rick, that's such a loaded question for me. Um, Because as you noted in the introduction, I've had a very long journey in trying to understand, manage, recover from a very serious mental illness, uh, bipolar type 1 disorder. Also, I have a, a dual diagnosis of alcoholism. So it's been a real heavy load to carry. And what I want to do, and the reason I'm so excited about this podcast is to try to send out a message of hope for those struggling with mental illness and substance abuse, because there's a lot of people out there that have this problem. Also, I want to contribute to the dialogue about mental illness and shed some more light on bipolar disorder in general. And uh, finally, I really want to assist with efforts to eradicate stigma and shame associated with mental illness currently in today's society. Do you think it's not talked about enough? Oh, definitely. I think we're just scratching the surface of the dialogue about mental illness in this country. Well, let's start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. you mind giving us some history and when you learn you've faced this illness? Well, mine is a story of being on a very um, high-level educational and career path at a very young age. I grew up in Bexley, um, went to Maryland Avenue Elementary from kindergarten to sixth grade, and then went on to the Columbus School for Girls where I graduated in 1984 and would enroll in Smith College. Also, while I was at Smith, I spent my junior year abroad at the London School of Economics, uh, studying economics and government. And uh, I graduated with a degree in government and went to Washington, D.C., where I got a master's degree in public policy at the University of Maryland. 
and went to work for the federal government at the U.S. Department of Energy for three years in the policy office. Wow. I mean, so the whole world was your oyster, wasn't it? Yeah, the world was my oyster. (laughs) Um, And uh, then I moved back to Columbus and the walls came crashing down um, just as I was starting a career as a public affairs newspaper reporter. I was just getting my toe in the water and had gotten an Associated Press Award for some work I had done out in Madison County. And uh, when I exploded out into my first bipolar psychotic episode, and that was in 2002, I was 34 years old and uh, newly married to my husband, Michael. Um, We'd only been married four months. And... uh, suddenly everything fell apart for me. And when you say that I had my first experience, yes. what, what, what does that mean, really? Oh, well, uh, psychosis, um, and let me back up and say I have, there are four types of bipolar. I have what's known as bipolar type one, where you swing from mania to depression. And in my manias, I have uh, psychotic features associated with it. And that means I get very elevated and I get detached from reality. I hallucinate. I have delusions. See, you're memory of the event is not so good. I don't have complete memory. I was just going to ask you, you, these are recollections or what you know after the fact, right? After the fact. Yeah. Yeah. My husband said um, when he came home from work, he knew immediately something was terribly wrong. He rushed me to the emergency room and, um, They took me by ambulance um, from Riverside Hospital out to Shepherd Hill facility in Licking County. There were no hospital beds available in Columbus. So I went to Shepherd Hill and was given the diagnosis there by a psychiatrist that I had bipolar disorder which I really didn't understand at the time what that meant. Of course not. And it has taken many, many years to get a real grasp on what bipolar disorder really is. How long did it take you to really understand what was going on? A very long time. I would have periods of being stable and able to get on the internet to do searches and get information. And also just Rick through experience of managing this um, all these years and uh, seeing that when we talk about managing my type of illness, It boils down to taking medication, having talk therapy, and then having family support, 
people you can talk to about your moods, your feelings, uh, so you don't feel so isolated. Um, because the depressive episodes can get pretty bad. I know I've been lucky with bipolar type 1 that I really don't lean towards depression. It's mostly the mania we have to watch out for and keeping me out of mania, keeping me more stable. But it's definitely been a long period of time trying to get a grip on all of this. And you've told us when we talked before that this also led to, or at the same time, addiction, alcoholism. Yes. Tell us a little about that. And do you, and do you, I assume you feel it's connected. Yes. Um, studies have shown that approximately 50% of people with bipolar disorder also have substance abuse issues. And uh, in my case, um, I ran with a pretty wild crowd um, back when I was living in Bexley in the 70s and 80s. And uh, I started drinking when I was uh, 15 or 16 and uh, continued to drink very heavily um, all throughout high school and college. And my mother, Wendy, is a recovered alcoholic. She's been sober 36 years. And I knew that alcoholism was genetic. And I just had a feeling in my early 20s that I had a problem. And uh, I was going to have to face it at some point. Now, when I turned 30, I entered Alcoholics Anonymous and found that program so inspiring and so key in helping me in those early years to get sober. The compulsion to drink came crashing back uh, when I was in mania. So I entered into this period where I would get stable on medication and stop drinking, but then the psychiatrist I had at the time would um, change my medication because I'd complain about the side effects. He'd change around the medication. I'd go manic, and I'd start drinking again, so I kept relapsing. Um, and I think that's what you see with a lot of bipolars is when they get manic um, or depressed, uh, they reach for the substances to try and medicate. So it wasn't until I reached, honestly, age 50 uh, that I was able to get my drinking and uh, marijuana use under control. I was thinking while you were talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous was helpful for you, obviously with addiction. And I was thinking about you understanding your mental illness as well. You sort of go through stages with that too, similar, you know, with denial and acceptance. and Absolutely. Absolutely. Every day I wake up and I am frustrated with the side effects of my medication, which are weight gain, hair loss, 
but top on the list is cognitive impairment. Um, I'm just not as sharp as I used to be. And I get a little resentful that I have this mental illness and I have to take these medications and uh, I want to be in denial of it and fight the medication and not take it. But I know I have to take it. Otherwise, I'll end up in the hospital and that's not where I want to be. Being sober is very challenging sometimes. Um, Listen, Rick, uh, I have a lot of friends who are very, very social and still engage in a very lively lifestyle with parties. And uh, I just can't be around that anymore. I've had to detach a bit from people that I used to be very, very close with. Um, A lot of my friends remember me as somebody who was life of the party, very much center of attention, very high achieving, um, very purpose-driven life. I'm just not that way anymore actually trying to figure out my new identity and new purpose has been a struggle. I'm learning new things about myself as I go along. And it's been quite an experience. And I know my story's not over yet, basically. You mentioned uh, friendships. Mm -hmm. All of this had to really affect your relationships and your friendships, didn't it? What I found, Rick, is I've made new friendships along the way. Um, New people have stepped up uh, as I've moved through my recovery. People I didn't um, expect who have been very supportive. And that's been wonderful to see. And the person who deserves a lot of kudos, and I have to mention, is my beloved husband, Michael, who literally watched his wife lose her mind uh, so soon after um, exchanging marriage vows. Um, And uh, he was actually questioned uh, whether he wanted to continue to stay together with me. And he didn't hesitate. He said, of course, I took vows. And he was serious. He meant it. He's been so loving and so supportive throughout this journey. I've been hospitalized nine different times for psychotic mania. And uh, he has come to visit me every day that he could visit. And uh, he's researched and read up about the disorder to educate himself. And we will be celebrating our 19th 
wedding anniversary next month. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm, thank you. I'm just so thrilled. Um, and the other person I want to mention, just I don't want to forget, is my mother, Wendy, uh, who um, has been another key support person in my life. And I talk to her every day in the morning. And she has made decisions about her own life and uh, devoting um, much of her time to my care and um, making sure I'm okay. She just turned 80 and uh, is a sprightly young thing. <laughs> and uh, she um, is one of my biggest cheerleaders. I'm listening to you talk. And first of all, what a beautiful story about your husband. Thank and you. It is. And, and what you've navigated together. But I'm also listening to your story. And uh, all of us have friends and acquaintances uh, over time. And I think what you're telling me is you really know who your friends are and the friends that journey with you and your partner, your life partner that journeys with you. It is a bond that is very special and very deep, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Um, I think people are um i wouldn't say scared of me or mental illness but i i think the media portrays the mentally ill in a bad light i mean often you see the stories of uh people being violent who have mental illness um now i'm someone who has never been violent i've never hurt anyone um and the vast majority of people with mental illness don't hurt anyone so but i i think um people are a little put off when they hear um you have a mental illness and uh that i might be different from the person um they once knew and uh, they're not sure how to behave around me or what to say. Maybe, and maybe too, I need to take a little responsibility. I felt great shame um, at ha having the diagnosis at times, uh, just deep shame uh, that I couldn't fulfill my career potential. Um, and uh, it's that shame that I hope others don't have to feel um, as time progresses and we work to eradicate stigma because that shame is really debilitating. You still feel it? Shame? Um, yeah. You know, and you know, you know how I know it is uh, I just had my CSG. I think it was my 35th reunion and I was all set to go. And then the day came 
And uh, I was at my mom's getting dressed and I turned her and I just said, mom, I can't do it. There's going to be teachers there. There's going to be people there I haven't seen. I just can't go. And she said, Melissa, you don't have to go. You may never go. I haven't been to any of my high school reunions ever. So if you don't want to go to CSG today, then don't worry about it. So yes, Rick, I felt ashamed um, to be seen um, and to have to talk to uh, people from my class. Uh, I was worried they'd have stories of achievement. And uh, I wouldn't. Anyway, um, I hope I can get to the point where I don't feel so much shame. Uh, that would be great. Of course, you've achieved a lot. Uh, but your fear is, uh, you know, well-founded. That It's uh, difficult for everyone to understand that achievement and understand that journey. It's, it's one reason I'm glad you're doing this podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I'm... When I heard about this podcast uh, and started listening to some of the segments, um, I became really interested in it. And uh, because I think um, what you're doing, Rick, is such a wonderful uh, effort. And your wife was telling me about a Jewish word for always leaving uh, your world a little a little better off um, before you go, and I can't remember the word uh, that she told me, but I def that was a great thing she left me with yesterday. I really liked hearing that, and I think you're both doing that with this podcast. That's tikkun olam. A light into yeah. the world. Yeah, that's what that means. I like that. I like that word. Well, if you can fit that into my segment, I'd like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just did. <laughs> I think we ought to spread that word around. It's wonderful. You know, you mentioned the hospitalizations. I think you said there's nine times. Yeah. What are your general experiences on what's happening out there with uh, hospitals and care and the mental health medical system? Well, Rick, some of them are very good and some of them are very bad. And that's pretty much true for Columbus, Ohio and, uh, anywhere else around the country. Um, one was so terrible. Uh, the bathrooms had mold. Um, you just had one public bathroom that everybody used and there was mold and um, it was awful. And the food was, um, someone told me that the people who worked in the kitchens were selling the food to um, outside people and serving the patients um, a different product. Um, just really, really bad. And then I've had other experiences uh, at private hospitals, um, very expensive hospitals here in town um, that uh, 
they allow you to go outside and uh, three or four times a day and uh, activities, uh, dogs brought in um, for pet therapy, uh, aromatherapy, um, music therapy, um, just uh, great food, <laughs> really good food that I enjoyed, and uh, interesting people that I met, uh, very intelligent, very talkative, um, so very good experiences. Uh, and so they're all different. Um, and I guess what I've learned is, from my experience, what I've seen, um, it all depends on when you get sick, and is there a bed available for you? So it just depends. Um, there's been a shortage of beds in Columbus for a while. And I know that, uh, and you'd have to talk to professionals um, at Ohio State and other hospitals to know what they're doing to address this. But I know that they've had a shortage for a while uh, and that the demand for beds does not meet the supply. We've been fortunate in this series. We have had an opportunity to talk to these medical professionals and, you know, candidly, they're wonderful. I mean, they're so committed yep. and they're so wonderful. Yep. And we're talking about also great hospital systems. The, the Ohio State University, Wexner Medical Center is among the best in the country and the, and the Ohio Health and, and, and the places you're mentioning. And so they grapple with what you're grappling with. Yes. We're kind of just working it out, aren't we? So let me, let me, let me ask you something. Yep. Because you sound so strong. Oh, thank you. And I know there are, there are dark days and strong days. How do you keep yourself strong? Well, I have found certain passions that came up out of nowhere. Um, they say that people with bipolar disorder are often very, very creative. And uh, there are many famous artists and musicians and uh, other types of creative folks, writers, uh, who have had bipolar disorder. And my outlet is cooking. I have become a gourmet, gourmet cook. Awesome. And uh, I spend every day preparing uh, very elaborate meals for my husband, who gets a different meal every night of the year. So uh, I've been able to get a lot of pleasure and satisfaction and joy from doing that uh, and uh, sharpening my skills. Uh, so that really elevates my spirit. And uh, I also have a very um, active involvement with um, different support groups um, through Facebook. This is all found through Facebook. Um, 
mental health and uh, AA, alcoholism, uh, support groups. Um, I'm very involved with that. And that keeps me feeling very good and positive and uh, hopeful um, that I've got a good life ahead of me. So you get strength with your interaction of peers and people in similar situations. Yes. Yes. And and do you feel you help people? Yes, definitely. I know I do. I've been told that on numerous occasions uh, in my uh, peer interactions that I definitely provide a lot of uh, hope uh, to others. and that makes me feel very good. Um, it's something I care very strongly about. Well, how can others do best to help you? Oh, well, I guess um, I wish that some of my friends would take the steps to educate themselves a little bit more about my type of mental illness, NAMI.org. NAMI um, has a wealth of information about bipolar disorder and other mental illnesses. I wish my friends were more educated, took the initiative to become more educated on mental illness um in general i i i'd like to see more of that i was going to come back to this earlier you said i know i'm not done what do you see in your future melissa it's a great question rick and it's one i've thought about um and i think about a lot because i do want to have purpose and meaning in my life Um, in a way where I'm involved in some way in uh, mental health uh, efforts. My resilience is getting up, getting knocked down, getting up again, getting knocked down. It's a constant um, battle to get healthy, uh, get stable. The key is, uh, for me, is just finally letting go and uh, putting my trust in to my treatment team of uh, psychiatrist, Dr. Alan Levy, who I came under his care in 2017, and my uh, Richard Fetter, I also came under his care in 2017. And uh, between the two of them, I just let go and said, help me. I'll, I don't think I'll ever fully feel comfortable that I'm not going to get sick again. Um, it's something I do worry about um, that, okay, everything's going to be fine. Um, I don't trust that. I, I just don't yet. I, 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 I've been hospitalized too many times 
to feel like I can trust that everything's going to be okay um, and that I'm safe. When was the last time you were in the hospital? Uh, 2017, April of 2017. Mm, so we've gotten through more than three years. And I'm making it through this pandemic, which is quite an accomplishment. Um, I was going to ask you that. How challenging is this pandemic? I'll tell you, Rick, um, this pandemic has been very hard on people's mental health, irregardless if you have a mental illness, just the anxiety and depression that a lot of people are feeling um, from uh, social distancing and um, isolation and uh, all of that. Um, If you've got a mental illness on top of it, it's even worse. Uh, A lot of people are ending up hospitalized. And uh, people with substance abuse disorders, look out. Um, The relapse rate for alcoholics is uh, very high. What do you do on the darkest days to get through it? I guess what's carried me through is uh, this idea that Things have just got to get better if I just hold on for one more day. Um, You know, in AA, we always say, take it one day at a time. And I guess for me, breaking it down to that, just for one more day, take it one day at a time, just sometimes one minute at a time. Um, to get through. Um, I've had to rely on that for a long time in my life. Um, And uh, finding inner strength through that. Are you proud of how you've navigated this? (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, I guess... I'm always my harshest critic. Um, I I didn't expect this question. Uh, I guess I am kind of proud. Yeah, I am proud. I I got handed a lot. And I still keep going. So, yeah, I I guess I am proud, Rick. I guess I'll allow myself to accept that. compliment do you have hope i do i really do um i've got hope in the younger generation um i think they're getting to therapy and doctors sooner um and uh they've got um a lot more resources at their fingertips um i know for me Um, I'm able to connect now with more people around the world about my illnesses and communicate and get support. And, uh, so my hope is growing. Um, I, I'm feeling today, I'm feeling very optimistic. Today's a good day. So I'm feeling very optimistic.
Is there anything else you want to make sure we know? Just wanted to say how grateful I am for this opportunity. Um, I wanted you and Karen to both know that as I've struggled to find a purpose um, in what I am doing in this world, um, your simple podcast is giving me confidence to take on new projects, to pursue new things. Um, I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And I wanted to just make sure you knew that. And it was such a pleasure meeting your wife yesterday. And she said she was a hugger, and I am too. And I so wish we could have hugged each other. But unfortunately, we couldn't. Uh, because of this damn COVID. <laughs> and uh, so um, I guess, Rick, that's all. I just want you to know how grateful I am. Melissa, this is a powerful and important story. This will be inspirational for many people. We wish you luck. We wish you continued courage. And we just want to thank you, thank you, thank you for being so brave and, and doing this today. Thanks so much, Rick. I'm deeply grateful. What a great story. Voices of Resilience is produced by the marketing engineers to Shipyard in collaboration with the Ohio State University Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health. To listen to our whole series, visit VoicesOfResiliencePodcast.com or find us on Spotify, Google, and Apple Play. Many thanks to our producers, Mike Long, Benson Trinan, Kate Masters, and my favorite, Karen Millenthal. Many thanks to Melissa today, and thanks to all of you for joining us.